Thank you, choir. That was, that was wonderful. Isaiah 42 this morning. If you're turning your Bibles with me to Isaiah 42. I was glad to see Meredith's juggling skills today. That's impressive. Isaiah 42. I'm really excited. I've been wanting to preach Isaiah 42 for a long time. Um, it's one of the four servant songs. And, and in the book of Isaiah, that they probably give us the best, most prophetic picture of the coming Messiah. Now, let's come back to Jesus' day before we go to Isaiah 42. At the time of Jesus' birth, Israel was under Roman rule, right? And they had lost their freedom in many ways. But their religious zeal was at an all-time high as they were expecting the Messiah to come and, and save them. And so when John the Baptist was preaching and baptizing people out in the wilderness, the, the Pharisees, that's the religious class of Jews, they came to him and they said, who are you? In other words, are you the Messiah we've been looking for? He said, I'm not the Messiah. And then he bore witness, and this is important. He said he saw the Spirit descend and remain on another, on Jesus of Nazareth. Okay, so set that in your mind. Now in Luke 4, when Christ was starting his public ministry, he goes to his home church or his home synagogue, and he's, he's teaching that morning. And he takes up the scroll of Isaiah. And this is what he reads. In other words, this is his calling. He is defining his ministry. He says this, The Spirit of the Lord, and this is Luke 4, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom to the captives and the recovering of the sight of the blind, to set at freedom those who are oppressed proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He rolled up the scroll of Isaiah. He gave it back to the attendant. And he sat down and he said, Today, this scripture about the suffering servant, the Messiah you've been waiting for, it's fulfilled in me. Now, John and Jesus were both talking about the same thing. The Holy Spirit coming down upon a person, marking and showing that that's the Messiah. That's Isaiah 42. The first suffering servant song about the Messiah where God says He will uphold Him and you'll know Him because the Holy Spirit comes down upon this one. Now, this morning we want to examine this first song of the servant written 700 years before the birth of Jesus. And what's amazing is as it shows us the glory of the Messiah, what we see is his gentleness, how gentle he is with his people. So let's read Isaiah 42, and we'll go 1 to 9 this morning. Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. 
He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice on the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. Thus says God, the Lord who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness and I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people a light for the nations to open the eyes that are blind to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. Let's pray for our time. Oh God, we see the greatness and the glory of our Messiah here. And He is gentle. A bruised reed He will not break. He is gentle with His people. That is part of Your glory. And You tell us, Lord, that You are pleased with Him and His ministry. Lord, I pray that You would work that truth into our hearts today. Lord, that we would know His greatness as a gentle Redeemer and Savior. And in the midst of our hard times and trials, we would run to Him because we know His character of gentleness. Lord, use Your Word to minister to people who are hurting and broken today. In Christ's name, Amen. When you study the first servant song, Isaiah 42, the theme is clear. What he's saying is God is sending his servant to bring justice, to to bring light and his covenant to a world. And then he describes the world as living in darkness. They're enslaved. Their eyes are blind until the servant brings light in the covenant and suddenly they come out of the prison and their eyes are blind opened. Let me just explain how that works. After the famous mutiny on the bounty in 1879, there were nine mutineers, if you know the story, that were put ashore in the Pickering Island, or islands, along with six native men, ten native women, and a young 15-year-old girl, all set out. Soon afterwards, there was a man by the name of Ned Young, and he ended up making alcohol. Figuring out how in the world do you do that on a remote island? I have no idea. But he ended up distilling a crude form of alcohol. A success for him, which led to widespread abuse. A small war. The death of nearly all the mutineers. Savage murders. So this island had turned into a horrible place with all the men being killed from alcohol, fights, and jealousy, except just two. Two survived. James Adams, and Ned Young. And somewhere amongst the belongings of the dead, as they were searching through, looking for resources, they came across a Bible and an Anglican book of common prayer. And they began to read those, and they were converted. So James Adams and Ned Young became born again. They became believers. 
And they set out on their little island building a society that would honor God, according to the Scriptures. Now, the change was so dramatic and radical that several years later, visitors actually came to the island. And what they said was, what they saw was virtually a model society. No crime, no poverty. It was amazing. Now, what happened? Well, exactly what the prophet Isaiah describes, the work of the suffering servant. The servant of God opening eyes, bringing people out of the dungeons when they receive His light. So in Isaiah 42, the context has got to be understood. So we need to back up to chapter 41. And we see there a court scene with God giving His case against idols and idolatries. And He ends in verse 29 by saying this, Behold, they are all a delusion. Their works are nothing. Their metal images are empty wind. And the next thing we see is verse 1. What's God's answer that, to that? Behold, my servant. Then he tells all the works of justice that this servant will do in a dark world, and he tells how he will do it. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoking flax he will not put out. Which means he is gentle towards his people who are weak. That when we are not putting off much spiritual light or heat, He will not remove His grace from us. He is like a good shepherd who does not discard the sheep who have been through a hard winter and are struggling. The suffering servant knows what suffering is, and therefore he is gentle and able to minister to people who are like broken reeds. Now there's two things we want to see here as we dive into this text. first is, With this servant, God will keep him. And the second is, God then will give him. Okay? Look at verse 1 with me in your Bibles. Point 1, God will keep him. God will keep him. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nation. Now, chapter 41 ends... Behold, they are all a delusion. And he's speaking about the world's religions, worshiping idols. And what's his answer to that? 42, behold my servant. He's calling his people then again to look, to take note. The idols of nations are nothing but empty wind. They're a delusion. But don't stop looking. Behold again, I have an answer to the world's situation. My servant's coming. And notice what he says there. Whom I uphold, delight in, put my spirit upon. So unlike the nation of Judah and its king, God delights in. He chose this servant. He upholds him. He keeps him. And how he does that is by putting the Holy Spirit upon this servant in a marked way. So... Fast forward to the times of Christ. When God the Father introduces His Son and who this is and His calling in Luke chapter 3 and Matthew chapter 3, this is what He says. This is My beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And what happens next? The Holy Spirit comes down. Do you see that? 
Do you see that's Isaiah 42? This is the one I delight in. And you'll know I delight in him. This is the suffering servant, the Messiah. And just like I said, the Holy Spirit will come down upon him. Now, he upholds him. He fills him with the Spirit for a purpose. Verse 1, look with me again. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the streets. So... The word justice means the judgments or the will of God to the nations. The world will be freed from the destroying, decaying power of darkness and sin. That's what he means by justice. He will bring the world back under the authority and the goodness of God and His will. Now, we need to pause a second and say a few words about justice. It's a word that's used... 200 times in the Old Testament. And often the Christian church does not understand or take justice seriously. I think we fall off on one side or we fall off on the other. What do you mean? Well, on one side you have the liberal church who's moved away from a gospel to a message of only social justice, that the church is just here to show the mercy and the love of God. That's it. And on the other side, I think the more fundamental church says that anything that has to do with mercy is not the gospel. The gospel is only about saving souls. (laughs) Micah 6.8 says this to the church. What does the Lord require of you but to do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God? Another way to say that is for those saved by grace through faith in Christ, To walk with God means to do justice. To do the best we can to bring His will to bear around us. Now, notice how this servant brings justice. Verse 2 and 3. Look in your Bibles with us. Okay, he's going to bring justice. I see that. The Father's going to uphold him. The Father puts His Spirit on it. How's He going to do it? He will not cry aloud or lift up His voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break. A faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. Notice those first words. He will not cry aloud. In the days of Isaiah, when a king conquered a land, he would go or he'd send one of his generals and they would get on a pedestal like this and they would proclaim the new laws of the land and the new religion of the people who are now under his authority. And so notice what Isaiah is saying. The servant is not a military leader who's going to stand up on a platform and impose God's judgments with the sword. Right? This is not the kind of justice that we're talking about that this servant's going to bring. And then he tells us what he's going to do, how he's going to bring justice. As bruised reed he will not break. A faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. So if you think about a reed, right? A very fragile stalk beside a water. And a bruised reed is that much more fragile. A faintly burning wick is the smallest of fires that's almost out. And if you blow too hard on it, it goes out. 
Now, when Christ opens His ministry of all the Old Testament chapters about the Messiah that He could have read, He reads this. He reads Isaiah 42. Why? Because He's gentle. He's gracious. He's merciful with His people. So much so that these are His words in Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Christ ministers grace to the bruised. There is a bruised heart that understands itself that has had its pride leveled by the painful decisions they have made in this world, or by being sinned against so strongly in this world, they have tasted humility, and they carry a burden and a pain of their brokenness. And God says about the Savior, He is lowly. He is gentle. Christ says, come to Me. I will lift your burden of guilt and shame and give you a very different yoke of following God. And the Father says, I love this. (laughs) I delight in this. You you see the way the, the servant will deal with people in gentleness, never breaking bruised people? And the Father says, that's the reason I put my Holy Spirit upon him. And I delight in that kind of ministry to a world ravaged and broken by sin. So I want to ask you, is that how you see Christ? Is that the Savior to you? Is He the suffering servant who saved you and continues grace and gentleness when you've been bruised? When you're struggling? When you're broken? See, if you don't see Christ like that, then when you make a mistake, when you struggle, you will run away from Him. Every time. I had a friend named Richard who grew up in a very strong Christian family. And he was taught in his family three basic things. Don't get drunk, his father would say. Boy, don't get drunk. Don't have intimate, we'll say intimate relationships outside of marriage. And work hard. And when he did that, his father smiled at him. And when he failed, his father harshly corrected him with the rod. Now Richard became a believer years later at university. But you know what? His view of God was cemented in his head by what he heard in his childhood. God is good to me, he said, when I am strong and I am perfect. And strikes me down when I am weak and I am not performing. So he performed. He went on staff at a big ministry. He made disciples. He was the golden boy. He was out late on campuses leading tons of people to Christ. And then some years later, he and his wife divorced. And from that point on, you know what he did? He ran from God. Why? Because Isaiah 42 said to him, 
The bruised reed, he will break. The smoking wick, he will blow out and extinguish. Therefore, unless you want that to happen to you when you struggle, run away. I want to ask you, my friends, which Savior do you serve? Which Savior do you have? One who breaks you and has no time for you when you are not performing? When you're struggling? Or one who wraps his gentle hands around you when you are bruised and holds you up? Who gently blows grace upon your life and truth when your fire is about to go out? You say, okay, Rusty, well, how do I know? Well, do you run from Christ in your pain into his arms? Or do you run away? The whole point of Isaiah 42 is God telling you that the suffering servant, his son, his Messiah, is not King Cyrus who steps on you when you are weak. He's not the military leader who stands on a podium and demands a harsh obedience with the sword, but is gentle to the bruised heart, calling us to come to him for salvation because sin has bruised and broken us. And for the believer, calling us to come to him for healing and strength when we struggle because our burdens are so great. And the great news is, he says, he will never grow faint or discouraged in the work the Father has given him, which means he'll never give up on you, regardless of how bruised and struggling you are. And the Father keeps him for this work. Second, Father keeps him, the Father gives him. Verse 6 and 7, if you look in the Bible with me, verse 6 and 7. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. Now I want to read two other verses in Isaiah which say something really similar. Isaiah 9-2. The people who walked in darkness, who have seen a great light, those who dwelt in a land of darkness, on them has light shined. That's about the Messiah. Isaiah 49, 6. I will make you as a light for the nations, that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. So you see these repeated themes, don't you? About the Messiah. God says, I will keep this servant to accomplish something awesome through him. Notice, a covenant to the people, a light to the nations. Look in your Bibles there. It says, God will give him as a covenant. So to give means he sets him to a task. He sets him to a task. A task of covenant and light, which he is using as the same thing, which means salvation. So his task is salvation. But you need to catch this. He is not just bringing like Moses who came down the mountain, right, and presented the law of the covenant of the law and said, Here, here's the light from God. That's not how it describes the Messiah. Notice it says, He is the covenant. The servant is the covenant and the light. God will make His covenant relationship through Him. So, to say this servant is the covenant to the world is to say 
all the blessings of salvation and knowing God come through Him. Are given by Him. So relationship with God, saving grace, is through the work of this servant. And this is what God's given Him for. Now, what does Jesus say about that? Well, remember the upper room? Christ is just about to go to the cross. You remember what He said? This is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for the many for the forgiveness of sins. So just before Jesus goes to the cross and dies as a sacrifice, He says, My body, My blood, broken for your forgiveness as a substitute, that is the covenant. That is the light. That is the relationship through which God is saving the world. And that only believe and repent and come into that relationship. Now, who's that light for? Who's that covenant for? Look in your Bibles with me again. Verse 7. Notice what he says there in verse 7. To open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. Now, in Jesus' day, everybody knew the four servant songs. They were They're really, really popular. People knew them and understood them quite well. So when Jesus takes up this text and he reads it in his home church and says it's fulfilled now, this is my calling, they knew he was claiming to be the suffering servant and the Messiah. But notice what Jesus is saying about his ministry. Notice these words. Blind. Prisoners. Those in darkness, outside the covenant of grace, without the servant, without his work, man is spiritually blind. It means we don't see God. We don't know God. Our, our sin has blinded us. We're dead to God. We're imprisoned, enslaved, living in total spiritual darkness. Notice the work of the servant then. Two words there. To open. To bring out. The servant comes to those bruised and broken by the sins of this world, enslaved in darkness. And do you see what he does? Do you see what the covenant does? He brings them out of that. It means out of darkness into light. He opens their eyes so for the first time they see and they know God. That's what we call being born again, isn't it? In the same Holy Spirit that came upon him, he comes upon the believer. And Paul, the apostle in 2 Corinthians, he said, yeah, that's what happens. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 16 to 18, listen. When one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. So in other words, there they are in darkness. And when we turn to Jesus, the veil is lifted off. They see and know God. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being changed, transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. This is the work of the servant. Now, verse 8 and 9. He says, I am the Lord, that is my name, my glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. 
Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. Before they string forth, I tell you of them. So God is saying, all the work of the servant, bringing the world out of darkness, ministering to people who are deeply bruised in a gracious way, is my glory. In other words, it's revealing my greatness. It is revealing to people who don't know me, who, who fictitiously make up ideas who I am. I am showing them who I am through the servant. And this is going to happen, he says. I'm going to bring it about. And then Christ gets up and says, it's fulfilled. It's me. So how do we think and live this? How do we think and live this? How do you take this from your head to your heart? Well, verse 3, a bruised reed, he will not break. A faintly burning wick, he will not quench. So two things we want to close with. How does Jesus do that? Right? How does he not quench me in my struggles? Here's how. He will not remove his grace when you fail to keep his laws perfectly. He will not remove his grace. He will not remove his spirit or his grace from you because you have failed in some form of obedience. If he did, then who could stand? No, no. He brings us into a covenant of grace we are in now. He seals us with his Holy Spirit. Yes, sometimes his presence because of our sin is lacking. We can quench the Holy Spirit, but his saving grace never departs the believer. Second, how does he not quench us? He will not remove his grace when you lose your experience of him. Right? So maybe you've had a great fire of faith in the past. You've known just the depths of deep and rich worship. You've seen him answer your prayers in extraordinary ways. But that's not where you are right now. Now you're bruised reed. You're smoking flax. When your desire and experience of Christ is low, He does not remove His grace from you, but His Spirit calls you back to Himself. Third, He will not remove His grace for lack of knowledge. He will not remove His grace for lack of knowledge. Often we get discouraged because we don't know as much as we want to know of theology or truth. And to be a Christian, you only have to know two things, that you are a great sinner and Christ is your great Savior. God's saving grace is not connected to how much you know, but who you know personally. That Christ is my suffering servant who suffered and died for me, brought me out of spiritual darkness, placed His Spirit in me, and by grace I am saved through faith. And that grace he will not remove, even if my knowledge is not great. Second, and we'll close here. Does your gentleness, my friends, does your gentleness reflect the gentleness of Christ? And I've had to repent to my children over the years of a lot of things. But you know what I've had to repent to them most of? Not being gentle with them. And I want to ask you, Does your gentleness reflect the gentleness of Christ? Again and again, I've sat in my office with a husband and a wife who live two different lives. They go to church, 
He's even an officer in the church. But home, it's very different. Finally, she can't handle it anymore. She comes in my office and she says, when we fight, he cusses me like a dog. He says the worst things to me. He calls me the worst things. Sometimes he even pushes me with his chest. Or the pastor's daughter who comes and sits in my office and she weeps. And she says, when I do the smallest things wrong, I don't get the bathtub clean like my mom wants. She comes in and she yells at me. She says, you are nothing but an ungrateful, spoiled brat and are splitting hell wide open with your actions. Listen, the servant's command to the believer is this. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentleness. I am gentle. Close with just these thoughts. Gentleness is a quality of strength, not weakness. If you are not displaying gentleness, it is not because you are strong. It's because you are weak and you can't control your own anger. Taking on yourself the gentleness of Christ is not living as a coward or full of timidity. It's not a destruction of your manhood. It is a disciple placing all of our strengths and lives under the control of our shepherd and saying, Christ is the model of my manhood. So, a believer is to be surrendered to the work of the Spirit in us, directed by His Word. So the believer gets angry at the right things, at the right times, and the right measure. But like our Savior, we are gentle towards our families. And when we see their weaknesses and struggles, we blow truth and love them gently. Now, let's close with this. You say, okay, Rusty, I get that. But that's hard. Sometimes I just get so angry. That's hard. I can't do that. I've tried. And my answer to that is, that's right, you can't do that. And you know what that says? You are the bruised reed. (laughs) You see, sin and anger has bruised you so you can't act gently when you need to. But you have a merciful Savior who calls you and loves you to come to Him when you're struggling with anger, when you're struggling with hardness, and gentleness is far from your heart. And He is gentle. And he says, come to me, those who are bruised by anger and inability. Come to me. I will not break you. I will not put you out. But what I will do is I will gently breathe truth on you and give you the ability to do the things that I have called you to do. And if you know that Savior, you will. You will run to him, not away from him. Father, praise you for our gentle Savior who ministers truth and hard truth to us. Yet He's gentle. He's gracious. He's not Cyrus standing up with harsh dictates. He is the loving God who's redeemed us, brought us into a covenant that you keep with us, sealed by the life and the death of blood of Jesus Christ. Praise you and thank you so much 
Father, I pray for the believers in this room when anger swells in our heart, when we are bruised by it, we would run to you for grace and ability. We believe the gospel that we have the right to through the work of the suffering servant. In Jesus' name, amen.